Volume Eight, Chapter Two of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Shalifa Malikim. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume Eight, Chapter Two. An Event. Scarce less unhappy in her decision than in her uncertainty and every way dissatisfied with her situation, her views, and herself, Cecilia was still so distressed and uncomfortable, when Delville called the next morning, that he could not discover what her determination had been, and fearfully inquired his doom with hardly any hope of finding favour. But Cecilia was above affectation, and a stranger to art. "'I would not, sir,' she said, "'keep you an instant in suspense.' When I am no longer in suspense myself, I may have appeared trifling, but I have been nothing less, and you would readily exculpate me of caprice if half the distress of my irresolution was known to you. Even now, when I hesitate no more, my mind is so ill at ease that I could neither wonder nor be displeased should you hesitate in your turn. You hesitate no more? cried he, almost breathless, at the sound of those words. And is it possible? Oh, my Cecilia, is it possible your resolution is in my favour? Alas, cried she, how little is your reason to rejoice! A dejected and melancholy gift is all you can receive. Ere I take it, then, cried he, in a voice that spoke joy, pain, and fear all at once in commotion. Tell me if your reluctance has its origin in me, that I may rather even yet relinquish you than merely owe your hand to the selfishness of persecution. Your pride, said she half-smiling, has some right to be alarmed, though I meant not to alarm it. No, it is with myself only I am at variance. It's my own weakness and want of judgment that I quarrel. In you I have all the reliance that the highest opinion of your honour and integrity can give me. This was enough for the warm heart of Delville, not only to restore peace, but to awaken rapture. He was almost as wild with delight as he had before been with apprehension, and poured forth his acknowledgments with so much fervour of gratitude that Cecilia imperceptibly grew reconciled to herself, and, before she missed her dejection, participated in his contentment. She quitted him as soon as she had power, to acquaint Mrs. Tarleton with what had passed, and assist in preparing her to accompany them to the altar, while Delville flew to his new acquaintance, Mr. Singleton, the lawyer, to request him to supply the place of Mr. Monckton in giving her away. All was now hastened with the utmost expedition, and to avoid observation, they agreed to meet at the church, their desire of secrecy, however potent, never urging them to wish the ceremony should be performed in a place less awful. When the chairs, however, came, which were to carry the two ladies thither, Cecilia trembled and hung back. The greatness of her undertaking, the hazard of all her future happiness, the disgraceful secrecy of her conduct, the expected reproaches of Mrs. Delville, and the boldness and indelicacy of the step she was about to take, all so forcibly struck, and so painfully wounded her, 
that the moment she was summoned to set out, she gained lost her resolution, and regretting the hour that Affidelville was known to her, she sunk into a chair and gave up her whole soul to anguish and sorrow. The good Mrs. Charlton tried in vain to console her. A sudden horror against herself had now seized her spirits, which, exhausted by long struggles, could rally no more. In this situation she was at length surprised by Delville, whose uneasy astonishment that she had failed in her appointment was only to be equalled by that with which he was struck at the sight of her tears. He demanded the cause with the utmost tenderness and apprehension. Cecilia for some time could not speak, and then with a deep sigh, "'Ah!' she cried, "'Mr. Delville, how weak are we all when unsupported by our own esteem! How feeble, how inconsistent, how changeable when our courage has any foundation but duty!' Delville, much relieved by finding her sadness sprung not from any new affliction, gently reproached the breach of promise, and earnestly entreated her to repair it. "'The clergyman,' cried he, is waiting. I have left him with Mr. Singleton in the vestry. No new objections have started, and no new obstacles have intervened. Why, then, torment ourselves with discussing again the old ones, which we have already considered, till every possible argument upon them is exhausted? Tranquilize, I conjure you, your regitated spirits, and if the truest tenderness— the most animated esteem and the gratefulest admiration can soften your future cares and ensure your future peace. Every anniversary of this day will recompense my Cecilia for every pang she now suffers. Cecilia, half soothed and half ashamed, finding she had in fact nothing new to say or to object, compelled herself to rise, and, penetrated by his solicitations, endeavoured to compose her mind and promised to follow him. He would not trust her, however, from his side, but seizing the very instant of her renewed consent, he dismissed the chairs, and, ordering a hackney-coach, preferred any risk to that of her again wavering, and insisted upon accompanying her in it himself. Cecilia had now scarce time to breathe, before she found herself at the porch of Blank Church. Delville hurried her out of the carriage and then offered his arm to Mrs. Jarton. Not a word was spoken by any of the party, till they went into the vestry, where Delville ordered Cecilia a glass of water, and, having hastily made his compliments to the clergyman, gave her hand to Mr. Singleton, who led her to the altar. The ceremony was now begun, and Cecilia, finding herself past all power of retracting, soon called her thoughts from wishing it, and turned her whole attention to the awful service, to which, though she listened with reverence, her full satisfaction in the object of her vows made her listen without terror. But when the priest came to that solemn adjuration, if any man can show any just cause, why they may not lawfully be joined together, a conscious tear stole into her eye, and a sigh escaped from Delville that went to her heart. But when the priest concluded the exhortation with, let him now speak, or else hereafter forever hold his peace. A female voice at some distance called out in shrill accents, I do! The ceremony was instantly stopped. 
The astonished priest immediately shut up the book to regard the intended bride and bridegroom. Delville started with amazement to see whence the sound proceeded, and Cecilia, aghast and struck with horror, faintly shrieked and caught hold of Mrs. Charlton. The consternation was general, and general was the silence, though all of one accord turned round towards the place whence the voice issued. A female form at the same moment was seen rushing from a pew, who glided out of the church with the quickness of lightning. Not a word was yet uttered, every one seeming rooted to the spot on which he stood, and regarding in mute wonder the place that this form had crossed. Delville at length exclaimed, "'What can this mean?' "'Did you not know the woman, sir?' said the clergyman. "'No, sir, I did not even see her.' "'Nor you, madam?' said he, addressing Cecilia. "'No, sir.' she answered in a voice that scarce articulated the two syllables, and changing colour so frequently, that Delville, apprehensive she would faint, flew to her, calling out, "'Let me support you.' She turned from him hastily, and still holding by Mrs. Charlding, moved away from the altar. "'Whither?' cried Delville, fearfully following her. "'Whither are you going?' She made not any answer, but still— Though tottering as much from emotion as Mrs. Charlton from infirmity, she walked on. "'Why did you stop the ceremony, sir?' cried Delville, impatiently speaking to the clergyman. "'No ceremony, sir,' he returned, "'could proceed with such an interruption.' "'It has been wholly accidental,' cried he, "'for we neither of us know the woman, who could not have any right or authority for the prohibition.' Then yet more anxiously pursuing Cecilia— why he continued do you thus move off why leave the ceremony unfinished mrs charlton what is it you are about cecilia i beseech you return and let the service go on cecilia making a motion with her hand to forbid his following her still silently proceeded though drawing along with equal difficulty mrs charlton and herself this is insupportable cried delville with vehemence turn i conjure you my Cecilia, my wife, why is it you thus abandon me? Turn, I implore you, and receive my eternal vows. Mrs. Charlton, bring her back. Cecilia, you must not go. He now attempted to take her hand, but shrinking from his touch, in an emphatic but low voice, she said, Yes, sir, I, I must. An interdiction such as this, for the world, could I not brave it? She then made an effort to somewhat quicken her pace. "'Where?' cried Delville, half-frantic. "'Where is this infamous woman? This wretch who has thus wantonly destroyed me!' And he rushed out of the church in pursuit of her. The clergyman and Mr. Singleton, who had hitherto been wandering spectators, came now to offer their assistance to Cecilia. She declined any help for herself, but gladly accepted their services for Mrs. Charlton, who, thunderstruck by all that had passed, seemed almost robbed of her faculties. Mr. Singleton proposed calling a hackney-coach. She consented, and they stopped for it at the church-porch. The clergyman now began to inquire of the pew-opener what she knew of the woman, who she was, and how she had got into the church. She knew of her, she answered nothing, but that she had come into early prayers, and she supposed she had hid herself in a pew when they were over, 
as she had thought the church entirely empty. An acne coach now drew up, and while the gentlemen were assisting Mrs. Charlton into it, Delville returned. "'I have pursued and inquired,' cried he, "'in vain. I can neither discover nor hear of her.' "'But what is all this? Whither are you going? What does this coach do here?' "'Mrs. Charlton, why do you get into it? "'Cecilia, what are you doing?' Cecilia turned away from him in silence. The shock she had received took from her all power of speech, while amazement and terror deprived her even of relief from tears. She believed Delville to blame, that she knew not in what, but the obscurity of her fears served only to render them more dreadful. She was now getting into the coach herself, but Elville, who could neither brook her displeasure nor endure her departure, forcibly caught her hand and called out, "'You are mine! You are my wife! I will part with you no more, and go whithersoever you will. I will follow and claim you.' "'Stop me not!' cried she, impatiently, though faintly. "'I am sick. I am ill already. If you detain me any longer, I shall be unable to support myself.' Oh, then rest on me!' cried he, still holding her. "'Rest but upon me till the ceremony is over. You will drive me to despair and to madness if you leave me in this barbarous manner.' The crowd now began to gather, and the words bride and bridegroom reached the ears of Cecilia, who half-dreaded with shame, with fear, and with distress, hastily said, "'You are determined to make me miserable,' and snatching away her hand, which Delvina, at those words, could no longer hold. She threw herself into his carriage. Delville, however, jumped in after her, and with an air of authority, ordered the coachman to Pall Mall, and then drew up the glasses, with a look of fierceness, at the mob. Cecilia had neither spirits nor power to resist him, yet offended by his violence, and shocked to be thus publicly pursued by him, her look spoke a resentment far more mortifying than any verbal reproach. "'Inhuman Cecilia!' cried he passionately. "'To desert me at the very altar! To cast me off at the instant the most sacred rites were uniting us! And then thus to look at me! To treat me with this disdain at a time of such distraction! To scorn me thus injuriously at the moment you unjustly abandoned me!' "'To how dreadful a scene!' said Cecilia, recovering from her consternation. "'Have you exposed me? To what shame, what indignity, what irreparable disgrace!' "'Oh, heaven!' cried he with horror. "'If any crime, any offence of mine, has occasioned this fatal blow, "'the whole world holds not a wretch so culpable as myself, "'nor one who will sooner allow the justice of your rigour.' My veneration for you has ever equalled my affection, and could I think it was through me you have suffered any indignity, I should soon abhor myself, as you seem to abhor me. But what is it I have done? How have I thus incensed you? By what action, by what guilt have I incurred this displeasure? Whence, cried she, came that voice which still vibrates in my ear? The prohibition could not be on my account, since none to whom I have known have either right or interest in even wishing it. What an inference is this! 
Over me, then, do you conclude this woman had any power? Here they stopped at the lodgings. Delville handed both the ladies out. Cecilia, eager to avoid his importunities and dreadfully disturbed, hastily passed him and ran upstairs, but Mrs. Charlton refused not his arm, on which he leant till they reached the drawing-room. Cecilia then rang the bell for her servant, and gave orders that both chairs might be sent for immediately. Delville now felt offended in his turn, but suppressing his vehemence, he gravely and quietly said, "'Determined as you are to leave me, indifferent to my peace and incredulous of my word, deign at least, before we part, to be more explicit in your accusation, and tell me if indeed it is possible you can suspect that the wretch who broke off the ceremony had ever from me received provocation for such an action.' "'I know not what to suspect,' said Cecilia, "'where everything is thus involved in obscurity. "'But I must own I should have some difficulty to think "'those words the effect of chance or to credit "'that their speaker was concealed without design.' "'You are right, then, madam,' cried he resentfully, "'to discard me, to treat me with contempt, "'to banish me without repugnance, "'since I see you believe me capable of duplicity.' and imagine I am better informed in this affair than I appear to be. You have said I shall make you miserable. No, madam. Your happiness and misery depend not upon one you hold so worthless. On whatever they depend, said Cecilia, I am too little at ease for discussion. I would no more be daring than superstitious, but none of our proceedings have prospered. And since their privacy has always been contrary both to my judgment and my principles, I know not how to repine at a failure I cannot think unmerited. Mrs. Charles and our shares is coming. You will be ready, I hope, to set off in it directly. Delville, too angry to trust himself to speak, now walked about the room and endeavoured to calm himself. But so little was his success that, though silent till the chaise was announced, when he heard that dreaded sound and saw Cecilia steady in her purpose of departing, he was so much shocked and afflicted, that clasping his hands in a transport of passionate grief, he exclaimed, "'This, then, Cecilia, is your faith. This is a felicity you bid me hope. This is a recompense of my sufferings in the performing of your engagement.' Cecilia, struck by these reproaches, turned back. But while she hesitated how to answer them, he went on. "'You are insensible to my misery, and impenetrable to my entreaties. The secret enemy has had power to make me odious in your sight, so for her enmity I can assign no cause, though even her existence was this morning unknown to me. Ever ready to abandon, and most willing to condemn me, you have more confidence in a vague conjecture than in all you have observed of the whole tenor of my character. Without knowing why, you are disposed to believe me criminal, without deigning to say wherefore, you are eager to banish me your presence. Yet scarce could a consciousness of guilt itself wound me so forcibly, so keenly, as your suspecting I am guilty. Again, then, cried Cecilia, Shall I subject myself to a scene of such disgrace and horror? No, never! 
the punishment of my error shall at least secure its reformation. Yet if I merit your reproaches, I deserve not your regard. Cease, therefore, to profess any for me, or make them no more. Show but to them, cried he, the smallest sensibility, show but for me the most distant concern, and I will try to bear my disappointment without murmuring, and submit to your decrees as to those from which there is no appeal, but to wound without deigning even to look at what you destroy, to shoot at random those arrows that are pointed with poison, to see them fasten on the heart, and corrode its vital functions, yet look on without compunction, or turn away with cold disdain. Oh, where is the candour I thought lodged in Cecilia? Where the justice, the equity, I believed a part of herself? After all that has passed, said Cecilia, sensibly touched by his distress, I expected not these complaints, nor that from me any assurance would be wanted. Yet if it will quiet your mind, if it will better reconcile you to our separation— Oh, fatal prelude! interrupted he. What on earth can quiet my mind if that leads to our separation? Give to me no condescension with any such view. Reserve your indifference. Persevere in your coldness. Triumph still in your power of inspiring those feelings you can never return. All, everything is more supportable than to talk of our separation. Yet how, cried she, parted, torn asunder as we have been, how is it now to be avoided? Trust in my honour. Show me but the confidence which I will venture to say I deserve, and then will that union no longer be impeded, which in future I am certain will never be repented. Good heaven, what a request! Faith is so implicit would be frenzy. You doubt, then, my integrity. You suspect— Indeed, I do not. Yet in a case of such importance, what ought to guide me but my own reason, my own conscience, my own sense of right? Pain me not, therefore, with reproaches. Distress me no more with entreaties, when I solemnly declare that no earthly consideration shall ever again make me promise you my hand, while the terror of Mr. Delville's displeasure has possession of my heart. And now it you. You give me then up. Be patient, I beseech you, and attempt not to follow me. Tis a step I cannot permit. Not follow you? And who has power to prevent me? I have, sir, if to incur my endless resentment is of any consequence to you. She then, with an air of determined steadiness, moved on. Mrs. Charlton, assisted by the servants, being already upon the stairs. Oh, tyranny! cried he. What submission is it you exact? May I not even inquire into the dreadful mystery of this morning? Yes! Certainly. And may I not acquaint you with it, should it be discovered? I shall not be sorry to hear it. But you. She was now halfway down the stairs, when losing all forbearance, he hastily flew after her, and endeavouring to stop her, called out, If you do not hate and detest me, if I am not loathsome and abhorrent to you, oh, quit me not thus insensibly, Cecilia! My beloved Cecilia, speak to me at least one word of less severity. Look at me once more, and tell me we part not for ever. Cecilia then turned round, and while a starting tear shewed her sympathetic distress, said, 
Why will you thus oppress me with entreaties I ought not to gratify? Have I not accompanied you to the altar? And can you doubt what I have thought of you? Have thought? Oh, Cecilia, is it then all over? Pray suffer me to go quietly. I fear not I shall go too happily. Suppress your own feelings rather than seek to awaken mine. Alas, there is little occasion. O oh, Mr. Delville, where are connection opposed by no duty, and repugnant to no friends, where it is attended by no impropriety, and carried on with no necessity of disguise, you would not thus charge me with indifference. You would not suspect me of insensibility. Oh, no! The joys of my heart would then be its glory, and all I now blush to feel I should openly of its pride acknowledge. She then hurried to the chaise, Delville pursuing her with thanks and blessings, and gratefully assuring her, as he handed her into it, that he would obey all her injunctions, and not even attempt to see her till he could bring her some intelligence concerning the morning's transaction. The chaise then drove off. End of chapter 2